All right, everybody. Um, what's up? Uh, it's the fucking hot boys. We're here, those thotties. And uh, we just want to tell you, you're about to listen to the special fucking comedy insider look get that edition episode okay so the last episode get there and i we were having fun with the hot boy the cute boy himself robbie what's up robbie say what's up what's up what's up beautiful everyone knows he's here with me uh but this episode we're going deep into the new york city improv comedy scene okay so if that's for you listen to this shit if you think you know somebody that wants to hear about the new york city improv comedy scene send this shit to them okay because we are going to be talking about the past of improv and get their opinion on the future of improv uh in new york which i thought was very interesting to hear um because he was uh, he was one of the greatest teachers uh at ucb for a long period of time so it was very uh interesting to get his insight on what he thought the future of improv and comedy in new york would be yeah and if you're here for the first time because you want to hear about gethard and what he thinks and you enjoy it definitely feel free to check out some of our other episodes sebastian and i do solos once a week and then we have guests every friday you probably yeah. recognize some of our guests so if you listen to this episode and you're like i like their voices but can they not talk about improv and can they make more jokes and listen to our other episodes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but uh, if you're here for the first time, comedy nerd, welcome. Uh, if not, all you hotties, if you want to get insight on what like New York City comedy was to me, something that was near and dear to my heart for 10 plus years, uh, go ahead, listen to this episode. All right, Robbie, let's fucking hit the episode. <laughs> Everyone, please relax. We're here. We're here. The boys are back, and we're doing another episode of Loud About Nothing. Okay, 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 okay. Everyone chill. Everyone, please chill. It's me. It's your boy. It's the hottest dude in the podcast game, okay? That thotty boo body, Sebi Chianti himself, Sebastian Canelli. okay? Okay, 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 okay. Everyone, everyone, please calm down. He's here every week. He is the cutest boy in town, okay? He is, he's not blood, but he is my nephew. Give it up for the cute boy himself, Robbie boy. Robbie, say what's up. Hey, what's up, Sebastian? Beautiful. Robbie, we only what's bring up? up, we only bring on moguls and we got a fucking mogul today. Very okay? much so. <laughs> we only got mogul. We only get hotties and we only get moguls and you know we're doing that today, okay? You know him. I mean, he's done everything. He's a comedy legend at this point in time. It's fucking beautiful. And he's a fucking podcast legend. He's got beautiful anonymous and you got to check out his new podcast. New Jersey is the world. Give it up. Which it is. It fucking is. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get into this for a little bit. Okay. Give it up. Chris Gethard. What's up, Gethard? How are you, Thotty Boombody? <laughs> <laughs> Get there. This is your energy. This this podcast is your energy, correct? I would say, yeah, I would say I feel right in my lane uh, with the, with your behavior. <laughs> also, I own those same sneakers that are on that shelf behind you. Are those valuable or something? Stop. Which? No, no. You're about to hurt me. You do not. Which ones? <laughs> those black, white and gray ones over your, uh, I think, right shoulder. These? Yeah. You don't own those. I'm sorry, I get that. You don't own, the, you don't I own, own those. Dude, where'd you buy them? Did you buy them? Uh, uh, where'd you buy them? Wait, why? Because I wore them so in my. I just um, bought them from the resale market. I just, way too much money. I bought so them you got them. Foot Locker, bro. No, I, I, I had to buy these from a dude that bought them from someplace. How these much did you spend on those? Oh, come on, bro. I'm living at home with my parents. It's embarrassing how much I'm spending on sneakers <laughs> and not on rent. I swear to God, I think those are the same ones I wore on my HBO special. I like sprung for some, for some nice ones so I would have confidence. Oh, not, yeah. I mean, those just came out, but you definitely uh, probably wore a Jordan 1. Yeah, I, I, I wore something in that lineage because they look very similar. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't no. know what I'm talking about. You, I, you if don't. Those just came out. It's not them. You're right. Okay. No, I, I know it's not them. I care a little too much about that sort of stuff. Why did it make you so mad that I might own sneakers as cool as the sneakers you own, by the way? Why were you like, no, there's no way you own sneakers this cool? <laughs> What's that about, man? Get it. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, the sneakers gotta... are like winning the lottery almost. That and... was very revealing about your opinion yeah. of me, though. Like, there's no way you own these. Well, I mean, I mean, I just got those. Those came out like two weeks ago and I spent five hundred dollars on them. Five hundred dollars. 
so, so you can sit on a shelf. Well, I'm gonna wear them uh, once the world's uh, once I'm like out and about. I'll, I'll wear them around. But um, yeah, I get that. I don't pin you as a person that's like looking at uh, at like the sneaker market, being like, "Oh, there's a drop next Tuesday. I gotta wake up at 10 a.m. to." put my raffle in well you are completely correct and i also do maintain that i am offended that it's not even <laughs> fathomable to you that i would be in a world uh well, it's cool i mean okay what's the cool if you were to if you're to pitch me as a cool that you're a cool guy right that you're a cool yeah. person what's oh, the coolest my. thing about you okay well, you're, well let's go by this it seems like your current uh obsession is sneakers right yeah i, I yeah I, I like sneakers a lot here's something cool about me my current obsession is lawn care that's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to have a lawn. Yeah, <laughs> it is nice. I've been working on it. I've been, I just blended it with some clover. I'm hoping that that seed comes in nice because you get to use less fertilizers. Lawn care. That's this, cool. This is nice. And this is, this is, if you don't know what to say in the club and you're talking to a girl, bring up your lawn care routine. Okay. Like I use the Jonathan Green products. I spring for the good stuff. <laughs> I buy the Black Beauty Ultra Seed, baby. I'm not even just going for regular Black Beauty. Ultra grows in sun and shade. You want to come <laughs> my lawn? That's nice. You got good mulch? How's your mulch game? Oh, uh, you there? know, I got a good mulch game. I went with the black mulch last year. Probably switch it up next year so my wife doesn't love the look, but I did yeah. it by hand myself. Hey, you know what? That's how you grow. You got to fail in order to grow. Got the, Who the said I failed? I feel like you said I failed when uh -oh. I said it looked really good. <laughs> I mean, your wife didn't like it. Your wife didn't like she it. Didn't like the color. She didn't like the color. She had no problem with the way I did it. Okay. Okay. You know what? Got that. It's we haven't talked. I mean, I would say the our most of our conversations have existed on recordings and have been public fights from the very start. <laughs> you severely <laughs> came at me the first time we ever met and it was on mic in front of a crowd. You tried to give me notes on stage on my comedic <laughs> performance in the moment. Okay. Meanwhile, I'd been doing it 15 years and you're a guy whose name I had vaguely heard at that point. <laughs> You're like, literally, I'm telling a story on stage. And I believe you said, that's what you went with. And I was like, oh, you want to no. give me notes right now? And we got into it. No. First well, combo. Well, let's just be honest. I, I think at the time I was like 23 years old. Also. Probably true. I was, yeah. I was doing comedy for like four years. And yeah. I got thrown into like, literally with all people that were like truly amazing. And I respected so much. And they're like, Oh, Sebastian, you just got an Alloy team. Go ahead, do a, a do a set with with Gethard, Shannon, Connor, and Besser. I go, yeah, oh my god, lot. it that's was a lot. lot. So I guess my instant reaction was to be a a, a bully <laughs> to was, me. It's weird to how you. nobody. Uh, it's weird how you didn't have a word to say to Shannon or Besser. That's weird. Nothing yeah. to say to them. You know what? I do or the honor. Everybody's like Connor's the best in the game. Oh, it's just the guy who's a little past his prime that you got some stuff to say to. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was wrong. I, I was wrong for coming at you a little bit, but I'm happy I did it. I do not take it back for one second. I do <laughs> well, not take it back for one second. Besser loved you for it. Oh yeah, he Everyone, loved you for it. I got I got a fucking commercial agent because I because I made fun of you. Got there? What? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? They, they were, were there. The, uh, Phil Cassess. I, I, maybe I believe his name, but he was there and he was like, and he was like, I loved, I, I loved your energy on stage. I can't believe that you were with all these big people on stage and you're like, just fuck it. I'm going to make fun of the biggest one on stage. <laughs> this is infuriating. I took the prison As my model. star fades other people. You're not the first to uh, slam me in an effort to gain <laughs> your own success. <sighs> I mean, but I'm from a ball busting culture. That's what it no, is. And I am too. And I actually feel like, all but I will say when you first gave me notes, my initial instinct was like, are you fucking kidding me in a genuine way? Like sure. My instant thing was just like, what? The and but it's also, first of all, I will say also very aware that that's my own ego. I mean, it is a faux pas to give someone notes during the show, uh, let alone at all. Really, it is definitely <laughs> faux pas, but it is my ego to be like, who's this young buck giving me notes? There's ego in there that I can accept. I should swallow. But I will also say that um, as somebody who I think I did kind of figure out, I think I kind of built a lot of my career. I, I figured out how to sort of be myself on stage and kind of take hits on stage and deal with them. So I, 
I do feel like um, you kind of went there and then I, I did kind of sense, okay, this could actually be funny. I get the sense that this is a good dude who just has some rampaging energy. And uh, it's probably, if I want to be a good improviser, it's my job to kind of turn it into something. So I will say that if you ever listen to that, you will hear the initial, the initial reaction is like, what the fuck? But then from there, it sure. becomes a ping pong game where we were playing with each other. And, I will, uh, I will say this. You I owe did me a- for that graciousness is what I will say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you're basically saying you fucked up and I made it all smooth. I fixed all the problems for that I think moment. You gave, you gave someone notes on stage, which on yes. any level is a faux pas. And 100%. then I went, okay, let's, have, let's at least, I can at least see that this could turn into something. And uh, as soon as we got off stage, I think I made it clear of like, that was really funny and uh, yeah. I will bust your balls about it, but I'm not mad. Like, I, I think I made that clear. A hundred percent. And I only, I'll go on record. I only probably made fun of you out of fear. I, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious to anyone listening oh, to it. And it all turned out good. And then um, as I was kind of fading out of the scene, I know that it was like my old crew that kind of embraced you and brought you up. And that, that yeah. in a cheesy way does mean a lot to me. So I know that you're part of the uh, the extended family in that sense. Of course, I know. It's so nice. Can you believe I'm on your improv team? Um, well, it doesn't exist anymore. But Shut up, bro. Come outside on. of that. <laughs> outside of that. Yeah. I guess I, was... I can't. Yes, I guess I can't believe that you're on the improv team because improv in New York has been erased from existence. So in that oh. sense, almost like I can't believe in Sasquatch or unicorns. <laughs> You're right. You're right. That's a good point. I, I, yo, can you believe in the Anunnaki, bro? I can't believe that shit's real. You know, you think it's going to come back. What do you think? This is actually I really did want to talk to you about this. Um, I hope this is my hope. I hope it comes back in groups renting out their own spaces and building up their own names for themselves mm-hmm. rather than one collective large theater, like trying to lift people up through the, through like a, a program and stuff like that. I think that I have the same instinct because I also think that um, not to talk bad because it was my home for many years and I helped, you know, if not build it, then sustain it for a long time not just on stage, but like literally wrote the curriculums to the school and stuff like that. I can make that claim. Yeah. But I think you're right. And I think by the end it had hit a tipping point where um, the brand was outweighing the work, you know, that was part of it. So it also meant that there would be people who would go to the shows in good faith to just be like, I want to see a show at UCB. Sometimes those shows were good. Sometimes those shows were bad. I, I once had someone um an instructor in a brazilian jiu-jitsu class i took like turned out to quietly be a comedy nerd and he told me he's like uh, he's like oh you came up at ucb he's like i've been to some really bad stuff there and then he says to me the only group that i go to anymore because they're the only ones who are good every show is this group called the stepfathers and i was like oh that i found i was one of the founders yeah Um, which made me both sad and proud but i'm like yeah a brand is going to be hit or miss. It's part, and and I think you're right that it's the things that might potentially save it are this group is good. Go see them, and yes. that that's what will start to rekindle it in a way that doesn't, you know, that doesn't get, you know, it's very in vogue to make fun of improv and slam it. And I haven't even done it in years, but I go, okay, the way to make it cool again is some group has to rebuild it from the point of them doing good shows and having a good vibe. Well, that's what UCB was originally. It was just this a phenomenal group that kind of built something because they were cool. And the yeah, schools came they were secondary. like the coolest fucking people in New York. At the, like Amy Poehler was cool. Matt yes. Walsh was really fucking like cool and nice to everybody. Like they were doing a cool thing nobody in New York had really seen. It was only a Chicago thing. And then every person who had, you know, the interest in doing improv who had not had access to that showed up. So the level of talent in the room in those early days was just unbelievable. You know, I got there. Uh, they they got to New York, I think in mid 96. I started in 2000 and they had just opened the first theater uh, like a couple months before I started. And uh, 
you just it was just a murderer's row just every person getting up on not every person that's actually sure. too much legend building the bad stuff was terrible and they're actually <laughs> like actual like actual mentally ill people to a concerning degree getting on stage i say that as someone who has a lot of mental illness like but to the point where yeah. i was like i look back i go that 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 person was a pornographer their job their day job was pornographer and they were performing on stage but that's the thing everybody was either really great or really fucking weird in a way that artistically was just amazing and there were a lot of people that were really great by the end of ucb but i think that it's better to not have pornographers on stage, probably. Yeah. But it's a lot less interesting in certain ways. It's it's reflective of an artistic movement evolving beyond being unbridled, you know? I I also think that it, it did become like a brand. A, it's oh, exactly big time. What, it, it's like it's it was the UCB brand, which I think is great for when you're starting up. Yes. But then I think I hit a point. I think I'm hitting a point now that like it actually I since it's dead now, I left and I go, what do I have? A lot of people don't even know who I am because I was serving this greater brand and right. i, I kind of left feeling like i just had my dick in my hands a little bit uh, excuse my expression but like i i'm like i feel like i'm starting from square one well dude I, I will tell you and again and i have to say if anybody from ucb hears this my love for the place knows no bounds i owe my career to ucb but in the wake of it going away i think there's a lot of validity to exploring it and i, I will tell you I started to kind of step away around 2012. Yeah. And I had a, uh, what year did you start? I started in 2010, but I was in college. So I was like just doing a few classes. Well, like you know, I, I, I had been on every, you know, it's funny. I'd been on a lot of teams that I don't think get talked about much in history, but every era they were regarded as, if not the best team and one of the best teams. I was consistently there, found at the stepfathers, yeah, wrote the curriculums, blah, blah, blah. I was running ASCAC, the guy who booked ASCAC. And then if it, probably 2010, you remember, like I'm I'm not patting myself on the back to say that the Gethard show at UCB yeah. in 2009, 10, 11, you couldn't get a fucking ticket. And no. people were flipping out. Like the community was like, oh shit, this is something new. It had fucking buzz. And some of the things that I dealt with as far as how the front of house staff treated me, um, sure. some of the emails that I received that just had an unnecessary tone made me realize this exact thing of like, oh, the theater is the theater. And if I can be the guy who's booking ASCAT, who wrote the curriculums, who has a show that they have to sell the tickets on a separate day so the website doesn't crash, yeah, and yeah. I can feel burnt out and like sometimes my dick, I walk out going, my dick is in my hands, just like you're saying, of like yeah. the theater is the theater and they're always, it, it, not they, the nature of this system is always going to be that the theater gets 51% and you get max 49%. Like that's just how it is. And that's max for a person like you. That's literally has done everything. Dude literally had the key to the door. So yes. that was one of my thoughts. I start going, if I am feeling this way, even on a semi-regular basis, like I had an incident involving the Del Close marathon in my show where I go, what the, f I had to finally sit down and go, what guys, what is going on? Like, yeah, they're yeah. trying to charge like 30 bucks for my show. And it was only, they're only gonna give it like a 40 minute slot. I'm like, I'm not charging people that much. And then we got in a big fight, blah, blah, blah. They're like, well, this is theater policy. I'm going, that's a phrase that I don't really want to deal with anymore. Like uh -huh. I'm growing beyond it. And, and then I had the thought of, if this shit is happening to me, what's it like to feel like a level five student, level three student? What's it feel like to be on a Lloyd team sometimes? I'm going, if I'm dealing with this, I have to imagine other people are dealing with it a lot worse. And that's when I started to see the writing on the wall of, I need to get a little bit motivated about protecting my self career because I, you know, I, I saw it 
almost a decade early. And that's kind of a shame because I probably walked away too soon to my own detriment. And, you know, I, I loved my students there, but I definitely had the feeling of, oh, I always would say in my classes, you are not here to serve the theater. The theater's here to serve you. I kind of realized that maybe it wasn't doing that for me. And then I knew in my heart, if it's not doing it for me, then it's, it's, it's not doing it for anybody. And uh, it's part of why I said, okay, it's time to separate and get a lot more casual about my relationship. That being said, I think now that it's over, we'll all be able to start looking back from the course of history and 2000 to 2010, it probably was as pure a place to explore art as you could have found in the country, I think, you know? Yeah. I mean, I when by the time I got there, it was already like a showcase stage yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I had the magnets, which was a place that just let me put oh. up shows after show after show. Five people used to come to my shows and I used to just do an hour of weird bits that I would play. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I'm lucky to have that. That's where I grew. UCB allowed people to see me, but the magnet allowed me to become a performer. Yeah. I have a lot of love for the magnet and uh, actually one of my best friends since I was 18 years old in college, we did college improv together. He performs there all the time to this day, like a big part of it. Jamie Rivera. Yeah. Jamie Rivera. I love Jamie. Kind, hilarious, interesting person. And he went the magnet. And in the early days, I would say there was a little, like, I think the magnet is much nicer and maybe I say this, not judgmentally. I say it as, as a positive that also has maybe some professional drawbacks of like, it's a little bit softer, a little bit yep. gentler and in a way that I find really beautiful. And I feel like when Armando broke off from the UCB in the early days, uh, first I found the pit with Ali and then quickly after that, the magnet, um, I feel like Armando did have kind of a gentle touch and a mind towards artistry first and UCB just by the nature of its success snowballing when they separated, I think mm -hmm. the magnet went towards the extreme of his vibe. And then the UCB kind of became this machine. Yeah. And what can you do anyway? I don't know. Do people even listening want to hear about this shit or they just want to hear us fight? Uh, <laughs> <You> tell me. <laughs> I, you, I don't I, I get that. Here's the deal. I don't get to talk to you, so I yeah. I, I don't really give a fuck right now. And you now. can I, cut it if it goes. Dude, <laughs> yes. I could. Me and you could sit one day. I can already. I because I can tell you're. Because look, I'm from New Jersey. You're from Staten Island. We yeah. all know there's like kindred spirit. There's also fucking rivalry and weird hatred between those places. Yep. Um, they're like brothers who are born too close together. You know, like I, I, they love each other a lot. Yeah. They punch each other in the fucking face. <laughs> But someday you and I could sit and I could tell you stories from the old old days. And I can tell I've I've always had the sense that you're like a fucking storyteller. You're that vibe that I grew up with, too, of like sit in the back booth of a bar and talk shit and tell stories. Yeah. And I could tell you stories about the early days at UCB that you'd be like, the fuck are you talking about? Like the guy, dude, there was a guy who used to take classes and come and sit front row at every show mm. who <laughs> he was he was a a very strange man who was his birthday, his, his day job was he was a professional children's birthday clown. And then somebody who's still around <laughs> discovered a website he ran where he sold a homemade board game called Devil's Chess. That was a, like a satanic version of chess. And he was like such an intensely strange man. And I've always loved the intensely strange people. But him, I was like, this, this feels like murderous and there was a night where curtis and gwen and i once had to like push him into a corner and be like hey you got to back off this you've said some things to a certain performer here and you got to fucking back off or you're gonna get fucked up dude like crazy <laughs> shit man like crazy things used to happen really crazy things man i i do have a question for you for yeah. Um, so like for me, someone that's in my situation, I was a teacher at UCB. I was on ASCAD. I had, I did a show every week. All that's gone. What does you clearly figured out a way to like spread your wings and fly a fly and do your own thing. What do I do? Well, I know you don't know me as a performer that well, right? No, but I've seen you perform, I think more than, you know, 
Uh, I'm all right, Scattered. Come on, say I'm funny. Say I'm funny. You're a very funny guy, and you have a thing that I've always envied, which is like, um, like an energy that fills the room, and it's very unpredictable, and that's very enticing for an audience to watch. You know? Yeah. I feel like I was always a guy on stage with those people who, I feel like when I was coming up. I could very often kind of lead the charge on my teams. And then when I hit a certain level of performing with people, I had to get really good at being the person. Like Will Hines always tells me, it's very nice. Will Hines always says I was the best point guard in improv. Cause I yeah. had to like, I'm on stage with Bobby Moynihan. I'm on stage sure. with Zach Woods. Like these are people, you know, ASCAT I'm on stage where there were times where it would literally be Amy Poehler, Seth Myers, Jason Sudeikis, Rachel Dratch, Jason Manzukis, and me. Jesus. And it's like, if I'm going to say a word, it's because Jesus. I got to be the setup artist. I got to be the person who goes, I'll, you, if you, you know, it's almost like setting up a game, a mousetrap, that old board game where I'm like, all right. And nobody in the crowd realizes I'm doing this, but I'm oh, the guy fuck. going like, all right, you stand and wait on the diving board. You're going to be the ball that rolls down the hill. You're the set of dominoes. This is going to hit that, but great. I don't, you guys all look good and get to do the fucking flips and fall down and do all that shit. Yeah. And trust me. And, and, you know, like Horatio Sands, one of my great, great friends, um, especially when we were in New York together. And I feel like so much of our time together on stage was like Horatio. He's a brilliant, he doesn't get enough credit as an actual improviser. He's really brilliant, but he loves to just go fucking nuts and break rules and act crazy. And I think part of why we really liked each other was because he knew I can fix it. Go do whatever the fuck you want and I can fix it. And that's really fun for you. And that's really fun for me. Mm -hmm. um, so you have that type of energy that I really envy and that I've seen take on many forms, you know? Um, but as far as what to do in the wake of UCB, it's, first of all, I'll say it's really tough. It's, there's shit talkers on UCB. I have no time for that. There's also people who I think were thoughtful, whether from in the scene or without, who would say, like we were saying before, the place isn't serving the people as much as the people are serving the place. It's not artist friendly after more anymore. Like that was one thing that I actually talked about with with one of the founders at a certain point who who reached out to me um, in the midst of a lot of like the payment stuff. And I said, you know, you're in LA now. And if you're not going to pay people, there's a lot of people who are actually okay with that. The problem becomes if you're not going to pay people, you have to be the most artist friendly space imaginable. Mm -hmm. When you guys yes. were in New York, I think there was truth to that. I think it was the place to experiment. You're not around anymore. I don't think you realize how often people are getting yelled at and scolded and that there's signs in the green room about all the rules people get an email about if you don't get your props out of here, they're going to be thrown out by 4 p.m. tomorrow. It's like people have day jobs and they're spending money often to perform at your theater. Don't send an email that's like, we're going to throw out your shit if you can't get here before the end of the workday. It's just not cool. No, there was yeah, stuff yeah. like that that got really out of control. It's not cool to get an email. Remember those props you bought for the show that we don't pay you for? And also now you got to walk out to 11th Ave. And if you want to take a cab in February, you're paying for that too. Yep. You have to at least be artist first you know mm -hmm. so the sad truth is a lot of the people who are there at the end and still serving the place they got fucked for it and you're one of those people and it sucks as far as what you got to do i mean i think the one thing you got to do is just trust in the fact that that energy doesn't go away that, that that energy did not only exist on the uh on the ucb stage and especially coming out of the pandemic people are going to be starving to go out and venues are going to be starving to have good shit up on their stages and I'm also hoping that in Manhattan, the real estate, so much vacant shit is going to lead to more like a, a few years where theaters can actually like occupy a space. Brooklyn, there's bars and venues that put on shows all the time. So I think it's a matter of self-organizing. I think for a lot of improvisers who have never done solo work, it's really, really intimidating. But I think, like you said, I think that, you know, I think of groups like TJ and Dave out of Chicago, Improvised mm -hmm. Shakespeare Company, who's now yeah. like half LA, half Chicago, where their shows, you stopped thinking of those as IO shows. Yes. You started thinking of those as their own shows. And I think for the people who are the cream of the crop at UCB, they got to link up, especially if it's like, like, I don't know your background well enough to know this, but like Connor is a dear friend of mine. I'm going, Connor's not going to do stand up. Connor's no. a 
Connor is a brilliant, brilliant actor who can translate that to brilliant, brilliant improv. Other people are brilliantly funny minds. He is a funny mind, but the reason Connor's so captivating on stage is because he can act his ass off and no one else in improv can do that as well as he does. You he know? lives, he lives the people when he's on stage. Yes. He yeah. is to a degree that's kind of scary. Whereas like <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> someone like, you know, and like someone like Neil Casey, like he was so amazing to watch in my opinion, because his, you saw his brain was, it's like watching a fucking machine build itself in front of you. And you're like, mm -hmm. holy shit. It's just all comes out you know you watch Zach Woods back in the day it's like you watch this guy who's like very contemplative and quiet personality wise and then every line he says is almost like a fully formed piece of comedic poetry with no fat on its bones he just says a six word sentence that crushes and you go oh my god how did you do that you know truly amazing I've got to perform with him a couple of times and it's, I would like stumble my way through to, to say like can I have a coffee and he would literally be it's a poet yeah, a huge laughter from like, and I would be working so hard, sweating, and he yeah, would, and that. But that's also what people love about you, you know. Like you're like, I mean, no offense by this, say this love, but I'm like, they like watching you because you're like the fucking Kool Aid man. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, this guy's gonna <laughs> run through a fucking wall and say something. I don't know what the fuck it's gonna be, yeah, and that's yeah. the energy. And 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 the trick and the magic trick with the improvisers like that who are actually really good is that that energy actually has a lot of control and a lot yes. of intent and a lot of thought behind it. And I think sometimes improvisers cut from that cloth do not get the credit they deserve as people involved in the craft and studying the craft. Horatio would just fucking walk, he'd walk off stage during the monologue at ASCAT and then walk on two scenes in and just smash a chair on stage to see how people reacted. Yeah. Horatio has been doing improv long enough at a high enough level that he knows how he can tr control the crowd. And frankly, it's just kind of boring for him to listen to a monologue and go, oh, they mentioned France. I'll do a scene at the Eiffel Tower. Sure. He's at a different level. And, and a lot of people who would behave like he would, it would be asshole behavior. With him, he's trying to find a way to challenge himself and do something crazy knowing that the other people up there have to deal with it. And that's an interesting experiment, you know, my opinion. Anyway, these are all fucking long contemplative thoughts that, any improv nerd, if an, if improv nerds listen to this, I bet they're going, oh, these are the fucking things I used to hear about this guy as a teacher. Because I understand that in that in the improv world, people still uh -huh. are like, oh, he, this motherfucker used to have a fucking weird philosophy. Um, so I'm glad <laughs> the improv nerds are hearing that in action. But I would say the very cream of the crop improvisers that I mentioned, I put you, having only seen you, you know, a handful of times, but knowing you got to the stepfather, so. It, obviously I'm biased. I was an original stepfather, but you're there. Yeah. You, Connor, the people come from that cloth. You got to team up. If you're, I don't know if you're interested in solo work. Um, if you want to keep improvising, if that's the base and it's what you feel like, shit, I haven't developed as a sketch writer yet, sketch performer yet. I'm not going to do stand up. The cream of the crop people got to get together and do the high level shit. And what will happen is that it's high enough level it will start in my, my guess is that will start to get the opinion of, okay, in the ashes of UCB, some of the people are actually starting to do stuff that strips away all the, all the baggage. These are actually very good and interesting shows. That's what cut, what will start to cut back on the reputation improv has had in the past handful of years where it gets made fun of even on Shit's Creek. They made a joke yeah, they did. of <laughs> the worst thing that could happen if we run an open mic at our stories, you'd force me to watch an improv troupe. Yeah. That was astounding to me. It was, first of all, it was a hilarious joke. Second of all, though, this is, this is, <laughs> this is written in, show. it's super funny, but it's also written and said by the son of Eugene Levy, who's on the show with Catherine O'Hara, two of the yep. most legendary improvisers of all time. So it's like, if that show is making fun of improv, we're fucked, you know? I do think improv can be cool again. And I think it's like, especially coming out of a pandemic where a lot of comedian standups are going to be talking about the pandemic or things mm -hmm. like that. Whereas improv is like, so in like what happened this week or what happened yesterday? And the audience is like, in. I think that desire will be there to just want to see like what's happening in the moment because I we don't so. want to recall shit that just happened in the last year and a half. The spontaneity will go a long way. And the, the thing that, this is an opinion that might offend any improv nerds listening, but if you hear me out to the end, I think you'll see, okay, I get it. 
and I think a lot of people go, it's actually very valuable. When people who only do improv say that they are comedians, sometimes I react poorly to that. I react poorly to that because I've inhabited every corner of the comedy world at this point. I think there's very few. I haven't been in a writer's room. Um, you wouldn't count. You doing the Gethard show as uh, the writer's room? Oh, I guess I have. But I mean like a sitcom writer's room. I haven't okay, been yeah, in yeah. like that type Super of store or something. Yeah, yeah. But I've done stand up in front of 12,000 people. Nobody who knows improv, the history of improv, I would say, and it sounds arrogant, in, in the course of the 21st century, if you know improv, you at yep. least vaguely know my name. You know what yes. I mean? Probably, probably. You, if you're a New Yorker, certainly. But like, you at least vaguely are like, oh, I heard that guy was a good teacher. Like, I mean, I joke vague. about you being a mogul, but like, truly, it's like you are uh, when it comes to the old UCB improv uh, world. And you, well, I know? also had to re I also had to realize, oh, this is a world that lends itself towards guruism, and I yes. want to do experimental stuff as a teacher, but I do not want to be a guru. I never wanted that. So I also had to be. It's nice of you to say, but I want to draw that line, but. When I, I having done stand up, having done more of that confessional storytelling style, you know, past at the comedy cellar, also hosted my own talk show, like have written books of essay, have had three books published. I'm not saying these things to pat myself on the back because I still struggle every day. Like, holy shit, man. I don't know if I have a job in here. I have not busted out like a lot of my peers to a degree where there's a sense of security. Like yeah. most of America hasn't heard of me and I've done all that shit. So I'm not trying to pat myself back on the back too hard. The reason I bring it up is I go, I've done all these corners where I go, okay, I really think to call yourself a comedian, it's probably based in stand up and to a degree sketch. I think that's when you can make that claim. But the the reason why I think that that's actually not just an okay thing, but a good thing is because improv is rooted in acting. You are yes. acting. You are a comedic actor. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was teaching classes, not from the start, but I hit a point where I would be very clear with people. I am not teaching you comedy. I can teach you a comedic style of acting. I can teach you a style of acting. I'm pretty certain of that. I can teach you some methodologies that serve comedic acting very well. If you also want to pursue stand-up in some but not all cases, I think stand-ups get a lot out of this. I think sometimes it's actually oil and water, even with the people who really want to try just because the instincts are so different. But comedic acting, when we think of it like that, that's why I think there's potential for it to be cool again because – Improv is improv, but there are certain shows throughout the history of improv that have been regarded as very gripping shows to watch in the sense of how well acted they are. That's something that people can lock into no matter what. Mm -hmm. You know, like you look at, I mentioned TJ and Dave, weird ass improvised Shakespeare. Um, I think a lot of the reasons why Ian Roberts was the best improviser, in my opinion, probably maybe of all time, cer certainly um, up there, the dude could commit and make things happen on stage. And the people who are at the highest level, and, and one of the things that frankly, I think UCB allowed to slip is you can dress up the fact that you're going for comedy and you can couch it within just really watchable scenes and with characters that seem well-rounded and you can get invested in the well-being of a character within 30 seconds of a great improviser establishing who that character is and improvisers have all this shorthand to communicate where you go wow within three exchanges i am rooting for this high school kid to overcome his fucking insecurities and like that's yes. the type of shit that improv can do that the other styles of comedy can't you make people fall in love with the people on stage which then allows them to laugh there's because the suspension of disbelief that stand yes. up stand up is about breaking the third wall. Mm -hmm. I don't think sketches sketches priority is to get to the joke. Improv still involves the suspension of disbelief. It's very different than the other styles of comedy. And I think improvisers 
I, I think that improvisers who go, okay, why is improv being made fun of? And I think a lot of it is honestly mugging to the audience, yeah. making easy jokes, shows where everybody in the show is laughing at each other, giggling at their own jokes. Now you're making it comedy and that's comedy is always going to feel lazy and hacky compared to standups who drill the same bit 400 times before they ever put it on an album or special can't compete. So I think the people who come back and make it something that can't be made fun of and make it ironclad and bulletproof are going to be the people who go, let's get back to the idea of committing as hard as actors do. Cause that's what this style has that no other style has. And if you do that in a space as intimate as union hall out in Brooklyn or, um, you know, as a place that feels like culturally cool at like Littlefield. Yeah. And you can get those crowds out in South Brooklyn to go, this is actually fucking smart and interesting and well acted in the way a play is well acted. Nobody can make fun of that. They can make fun of a bunch of fucking dudes who look like me with plastic glasses who wear khakis and checkered shirts. Yeah. Making making jokes that are kind of obvious and then giggling at their own shit. Is that harsh? Sure, but I think it's true. I would say that uh, through the Lloyd system of teaching pattern game, having to get to jokes as quickly as possible. Are you funny? We were uh, as a coach and as he talking to artistic directors, we were kind of looked at. Are they is this show funny? Yeah, that was a severe change. The Lloyd system really, I think, fucked it kind of in a way. I, I think I, I think that there's truth to that. And I think. uh and I taught, I coached like yeah. half the Lloyd teams at one point in time. And it was kind of like, okay, you have 25 minutes. Everyone wants to get uh, promoted to the next level to Harold. So, and how you do that is by showing up and being funny in front of an audience. Be the funniest one. And, yep. and uh, it doesn't promote teamwork. It doesn't promote ensemble. It doesn't promote, I don't want to use the phrase group mind because it's one of the things that I got blown out. But the idea of a group knowing each other so well that they like what I was describing before. And some of this is just coming off fucking cocky. And I, I, I apologize. I really don't think it's my style, but I would, I, I hit a point where I said, I do not, I wrote the curriculums to these classes and I don't think that if I was 20 now, I would sign up for these classes. I don't think it's what I got. I don't think what I had, it's what I've been looking for in the summer of 2000, you know, yeah. this pressure of get up there and be funny. No, it was more like, let's, you could have that. But I also think, I think there were so many different styles. If, if you took a class from Besser, it was going to be, let's get to the fucking premise. Cool. For Joe Wenger in particular, like that's a guy where I jump out. I go, oh my God, fucking premise machine, best ever. If you wanted to be a super fucking committed person that was like, commit hard, don't go the easy route, find the fucking smart joke and then crush that smart joke so hard that you crush them, which I always felt like was, the, to me, I always felt like one of the secrets of UCB. Go take Ian Roberts classes. That's, yeah. he's the machine this guy locks in like he was connor before connor you know what i mean like Interesting. uh if you want stuff that's just gonna feel like so heartfelt and raw and like driven by this idea of like get some fire in your fucking guts and give that audience a show and do it the right way and take care of each other amy you know you want to do something where it's like let's just get fucking weird and do something silly and not worry too much about this shit walsh and then down the fucking chain right Billy Merritt, one of the great teachers at the theater, had a whole philosophy. Are you a pirate or a robot or a ninja? Like that might appeal to you. Who was his fucking right hand connected person more than any other throughout UCB? Delaney, who was all about act, get it grounded, be smart, take care. Like he was all about that. You know, when I took his classes, I was a big Delaney guy. And down the line, Julie Brister, Kevin Lane, they were all different. I've always felt a certain sense of guilt that I wrote the curriculums because um, it codified everything. And I, I've always, I have always, someone was going to do it, right? 
It was a job. Yeah. And also the system was so fucking huge. And honestly, some of the teachers had gotten very lazy. So I was brought in with that job to be like, write some curriculum. So everybody's classes are at an equal level. And part of my job was figure out who the lazy teachers are. And, and we got to We got to either get them to shape up or get out of there. Like I had to fire people. I really admired who were older than me. It was really bad. Um, so it needed to happen, but I, I also feel like, oh, what we lost then was the idea of individual teachers inserting their own individual philosophies into things. And it leads to what you're saying. This is all about a pattern game leading to a premise. And that is, that is one style and it's a good style and it's a thing you need to know, but it doesn't promote a lot of the other stuff that makes improv interesting. I think the people who bring back that other stuff are going to be the ones where it starts to attract a crowd where they go, you know, it's improv, but it's actually, they did this scene that made me laugh so fucking hard, but it also kind of broke my heart or like freaked me out a little bit. And, and those are the sides of it that I think some people can pull off. And then from there, if it's going to be a scene in New York again, wow. those people will have to make an honest decision at some point about how much do they want to put energy and time into bringing up other people after them. That yeah. might not happen. That being said, let's not forget that the magnet, as we mentioned, is a fantastic community. Um, and still exists. Still exists. And yes. I am thrilled it does. It, it doesn't, it checks, it checks its own boxes. And there were people at UCB who stylistically don't fit those boxes and who goals wise are looking for boxes that I think I just think the magnet is a place that's more about the purity of the art mm -hmm. and the people who are like, fuck this. I want to get agents in the room. It's just an attitude that I, I haven't been, I've only done shows at the magnet from time to time. The sense I've always gotten is that in a beautiful way, it's a thing. Pete, they want people to be successful, certainly showcases sure. to be that bold faced, aggressive about it. It's, it's just a little tacky. Uh, yeah. CB I think it was built in a way where that was actually a quality that worked and helped fuel things in a good way at times. So because my opinion, brought, my brought opinion, brought talent there and probably was like, if you're great, you come here and you kind of, and you show us your greatness. Well, and it's also like, Hey, like if you can exist in an environment where, you know, go fucking hard, burn yourself at both ends, be willing to cut some fucking throats and show yourself off. You might get some success. Like, yeah, but I think the idea of cutting each other's throats is not a positive in most no. most improv houses. Starting with the magnet, and I've actually seen the I've said it before. The best improv show I've seen in years was at a place called Steel Stacks in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I love Steel Stacks, great festival. It's awesome, and the people yeah. who run it are great. And I saw an improv show there where I went. They had me out doing stand up, I, I, and and I taught in an improv workshop, and and I still like teaching. I miss teaching more than performing it, but I go. I'm watching the improv show. I go, I cannot believe I am enjoying. I am just, I'm chilling out and enjoying this. Whereas when I would see shows at UCB by the end of my time there, if I dropped in and watched Harold, I'd go, this parts of this are making me mad, frankly. Well, is, is, could that be because you have separation from steel stacks than you do UCB? So there's no like emotional, like, yeah, I don't think I felt it. any responsibility of like, fuck man. Like, Watching yeah. Harold like going, I taught that person in a class and they they fucking sure. know better than that. That's sure. that was cheap. Sure. There's part of me that was like that. Then also I had separation from them and they have separate they're in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Guess what? Lauren Michaels isn't gonna drop in that night. Don't Phil tell Cass them that. Phil Cassess is not going to poach you from Steel Stacks in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Don't and tell that, them that. Got their, don't tell them they got dreams. Listen, though, a lot of those guys would drive into UCB for that side of it. And, no, and yeah, yeah. I say this with love of they are allowed to just do it for the sake of doing it. And that is a thing that I don't know. That was at the very least subconsciously not the case for anybody at UCB after a certain point. I think that the people that will return to improv, I think a lot of people won't. The people that will, like a guy, a dude like Connor, Connor is seeing some success right now, right? Yeah. He's on TV shows. He's regulars on TV shows. He makes a living. He's George very Lucas. Show George gets Lucas. Like a lot of a lot of buzz. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. People love Connor, right? And he'll return to improv, not because improv could elevate his career in any way, right? Yeah. 
background to it because that's what he does and that's what he loves. Well, it would be like him not using his left arm for the rest of his life. Like, yes. it's just, it's not, a it, 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 it's muscles. Him, but he needs it, yeah. It's muscles that he has and you, you can't let them atrophy. And, um, you know, I also don't want to put too much pressure on Connor to be the person who saves improv in New York. No, no, Connor, no. if you hear this, you, you have to be, no one else can do it. Um, <laughs> Not true. Sebastian can help. Sebastian can help. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what I am worried about with uh, improv? So the idea that daddy or my, mommy's not watching anymore, that yeah. UCB is going to be gone, because that's when bad behavior comes out, right? Bar shows are some of the, I think bar shows are sometimes the shows that people are making fun of, the shows that are, are the jokes of improv, because that's when the detachment comes in, in play and people just start being, uh, winking at the audience and, and breaking that fourth wall, et cetera. Well, I, I, I understand I would disagree on a certain level. I think that rolls downhill to those shows. If I'm going to be totally frank, yeah. here is a problem. You get good in the classes, you start getting those performance shows. The best people get poached for that to be Lloyd. You mentioned the best people from Lloyd get plucked to be Harold. So that team is destroyed. That team's best person, the engine of that car just got ripped out. They have to rebuild. Some of them are going to go away. You get put on a Harold team. The best people from Harold team individually, again, ripped out, put on a weekend team. I mean, it's what a broken happened? system. Yeah. What's that? Uh, that's a broken system. That's a system that does not lend itself to long-term success no. for the other seven people in any of those situations. Like no. every, okay. Our first team, we were idealistic, said, let's be the best team. Best person got poached. We were, we were rubes for wanting to be the best team. That's what that teaches people. But then here's to me, the real issue, dude. And, I feel like I can say it. And some people might agree. Some people might go, dude, fuck you. You left. That's the other thing. For all my opinions, I bailed. I fucking bailed. You know, like I left. I had my own shit to do and that's fine. But also for me to now in 2021 be like, here's the fucking problems. That's <laughs> bullshit. That's my yes. opinions. And it's fucking bullshit. Um, but then you get to a weekend team. And weekend teams are never required to rehearse. Nope. They never get a note and no one's ever asked to leave. You can do the worst work of your life. No one's going to tell you to scram. That's a system that rewards self-protectiveness and then has a traffic jam at the top where let's be honest. We all know this students coming up. will go watch weekend teams and go, I cannot believe I am watching someone phone it in like this yeah students see that and not with every team and not all the time there's certainly people who crush and there's certainly teams who go on streaks where they're right but we all know there's examples of students who go i can't believe that this is the show my teacher told me to go see and they're 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 betraying every single thing that i've been told i'm supposed to do and apparently they will never leave so that the people come up and then they all just wait for their shot and the fuck is going on or worse you you're a student and then you're like bring your friends because you're like yeah i'm really excited this is the show that i'm supposed to go see and then your friends come in from out of town and then you go and you're like oh that was bad and they're like this is the pinnacle of what you're yeah. trying to accomplish yeah this is what you're spending thousands of dollars on and it's why we never hear from you and yeah. why you broke up with your girlfriend yeah. like, what the fuck have you joined? Yeah, that, you know? like, that, that's, that's the real problem. worst yeah to me that 100%. was that was the beginning of the end like and look Dude, you can ask the other stepfathers, honestly, the ones in my era. Yeah. I was a fucking pain in the ass. And a lot of them had stretches where they did not like me and they were right. I was a fucking annoying and too opinionated and judgmental. And every stepfather, even the people who I'm friends with to this day, at some point had a moment where they were like, yeah, fuck off. So again, I'll put out that caveat. People, people on my own team had moments where they're like, dude, you're <laughs> fucking brick, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. that keep in mind all my opinions, but I, I, I do just think it's a problem that the weekend team thing was almost met with this idea of like, Oh, thank God. I don't need to rehearse anymore. And it's like, if you're an artistic community that wants to set a bar and raise a bar, that's just not sure. That's the simplest way to say it. If the highest level people are not required to be accountable, it's not, it's not, it's not going to last forever. 
Well, that's yeah. when people start noting other people on stage. Got there? Oh, really? <laughs> really? I used to no, beg I'm to kidding, get notes. I'm kidding, I will say, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. all I wanted was to get notes. Uh, and no I one really gets did. notes. I know. Uh, I, I, know. I, you probably don't know this. I was on a weekend team and I stepped down from it. And well, that's when I joined the stepfathers. I always, and I believe you were on the team that performed after the stepfathers. <laughs> you'd see them in the green room every week, which I'm sure must have been fucking great for you. I mean, get that at that point, I did. I knew I, I'm not going to move to LA. I just went through a bad breakup. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I go, the one thing I love is this art form. And I felt like I was not growing at all. Yeah. With where I was. Cause I was and on the team. You know, if you go on years. the stepfathers, you're going to, and this is again, just, not because we were better than anybody. We just all been around forever. You're like, I might not get notes anymore and I'm not growing, but I will grow trying to keep up with those people in the first few months I'm on this team. I would watch Shannon talk to the audience. Yeah. And no one could, no one could make you feel like an asshole, but prove their point and make the whole audience laugh in the same moment like she can. Yeah. I don't know anyone that could talk to an audience better than Shannon. Oh, and I would watch her. special, yeah. She, I, and I, I look at her and I watch her give these interviews with people. I go, that's what I want. I watch Alex Dixon, her commitments. Oh I watch God. Connor with her, his characters. And I go, I need to step up. The first yeah. two months, three months I was on the team, I had bad shows. And thank God they were all my friends and they were like, okay, I'm riding. But I was putting pressure on myself. Like, this is my time to finally step. I'm where I've dreamt of being. Yeah. Now it's my time to step up. And I think I and did. And then in the finally. green room afterwards, everybody. But here's the thing. You <laughs> yeah, tell me everyone... if I'm right or wrong. I'm sure there yeah. was some issue there. But I also bet in there may have just been also a vibe of like, oh, yeah, dude, have fun. We don't like it's fine. We don't care. Like. And that to me is a problem too. If that, if it went in that direction, I think there was some issue. Those, think, those people <laughs> on that team should have hated you. And I, I think, think it's healthy for it's a healthy reflection of the community. If they did, I think, I think people were talking about me. I think people hated me a little bit for that, but good. I will say this good. I needed to, uh, it's my career. I'm not, I'm not a teacher during the, in the morning and then doing improv at night. I'm auditioning and doing comedy stuff and teaching. Uh, this is my life. Why would I not make yeah, the best choices for, for myself? Go for it. And then fucking. But people were talking about me because I think I was like one of the first people to ever leave one weekend team. And I think you another maybe one. the first. Fuck yes. I think so. We tried to poach <laughs> Anthony King at one point and he turned us down. Really? Yeah. I don't know if that's public knowledge. <laughs> well, uh, now it is, bro. <laughs> but yeah, we tried to poach him. He said no. And then because of the system. Well, he was also just like, oh, man, it would be so fun. He's like, I can see how it'd be a real good fit style wise. But he's also like, I'm on Ruben Williams and we kind of we formed ourselves and my wife is on the team and all the people okay. I came up with are on the team. And he's like, yeah. I still believe in that team thing. I still believe in it. And I was like, yeah, if this is the reason you're going to turn us down. Good. That That's is good that makes me feel good about the community. And he's like, I still believe that you got to get in the trenches with your team and duke it out and i was like nice good yeah, yeah. and then you betrayed that i did and i'm happy <laughs> i mean i'm happy i did i think that and because you know what it's all dead now so now yeah. i'm just like who hanging cares? out on my who truly in who Staten cares yeah. i'm in staten island i get there we're not gonna end up talking about new jersey today I'm well, so i was sorry. just gonna say do I'm you so want to like cut this part and release it as like a bonus episode the improv tangent we can fight about new jersey a few more minutes because okay. that's it's supposed to be we were gonna fight about so we new can, york if you don't have time if you don't have because improv talk. people that listen to this yeah there's they some. will <laughs> i mean yeah, i think that they will i think i think some improv people don't we have a lot of normal people that listen which i love yeah, I'm upset because yeah. I don't want the fucking imp I want the improv people, no, but that's but the jig is up. You've learned your lesson of like, oh, it can't just be this. Like, no, I want real people that just enjoy comedy. I try so to put out like a funny that? show. How about this? Okay. How about we fight about New Jersey a whole bunch? Okay. And you release that as like bonus episode. We went down this improv rabbit hole. So we're Beautiful. just gonna put that out. But let's do the actual because I feel bad. This is not an episode of your show. No, this is not an episode of my let's show. Do the show. <laughs> Probably have to keep it a little quicker if that's okay with you. That's one hundred percent fine. And we'll end. We'll and then the the one you release is the bonus episode. We will end it with this included of us going. Fuck! Did we just talk about improper solo? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, and that was the fucking comedy episode with Chris Gethard. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> He's been around a lot of people. He's been. I mean, you. It's undeniable. 
he's put in his fucking hours and like it's and I would I'm happy that I got to have that conversation to just hear his thoughts and his opinions on all all things like improv and comedy related, you know? Yeah. Always, always. I just spit out gum. I was chewing gum as I was doing this outro and I had to spit it out midway through because I'm like, I, I, got, I got to be professional. And then it dribbled down my shirt. Anyways. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep listening to. Yeah. If you like just this episode, give us five stars. If you think you would like more, please, please, please keep telling a friend. Uh, spread the word in the comedy community. If people that would like that episode and just spread the word in general, keep sharing Beautiful. the pod. Yes. Keep sharing the pod. We fucking love you hotties. All right, Robbie hit the fucking music. Oh, oh, oh.